Welcome to Grace, everybody. It's good to see you guys this weekend and everybody watching online in the Montrose building and our live sites. Welcome as well. It's, uh, it's been a great week here. It, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, just last uh, weekend, we had a great global missions conference that was fantastic. Uh, we had then a big children's event that night. There was lots and lots of costumes and cars out there uh, for the, uh, the Fall Fest. It was a blast. Thursday, uh, our college ministry released a new album, so we had a concert in here, and uh, when they started to play, people rushed the stage and started jumping and dancing, so we're going we're gonna to implement that on the weekends, <laughs> excited for that, uh, but that album was amazing, and uh, encourage you to grab that, and then Friday, we had a big event for junior high kids, last night, we had a big event for senior high kids, and then there are life groups and student life groups and power outlets. There's always a ton of things going on at Grace, lots and lots of ways to kind of plug into community. And that, that's what we've been talking about here these last few weeks, that church, church is not just services, it's not just listening to uh, a speaker online, but it's really sharing our lives with each other and being in environments and being in situations where I can know you and you can know me <clears throat> and we can, we can love and interact with each other. It's this big, big part of what it means to be a church. And we, we draw that from Jesus, right? So Jesus would push us toward each other as we grow closer to Christ. We kind of grow closer to each other. The two great, greatest commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so it's this up and sideways connection that we've been looking at. We've been kind of keying in on this verse, John 13, uh, <clears throat> Jesus' words. <clears throat> he says this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus looks at his followers, and he says, that's your, that's your hallmark, that's your defining feature. It's not the subculture, it's not that you go to church, it's certainly not politics, it's this love that you have for each other. And we've been looking at that and saying that's a, that's a big deal, right? Because sometimes loving people is pretty easy. You get along real easily and it's easy to love people. Sometimes it's very difficult, right? Because of pain and sin and things like that. And then many, much of the time, it's just confusing that I'm in these individual relationships and there's these individual history and these individual pathways and how do I love what should I do in this given situation? And we've been talking about how God helps us with that. He gives us, we call them the one another's. There's all these statements throughout the scripture that would say, in essence, this is a way to express love to one another. You can forgive one another. You can celebrate with one another. You can mourn with one another. You can offer hospitality to one another and, and on and on and on. And it's these tangible ways that we can plug into each other's lives. And then we kind of, before we got rolling, we kind of stopped and said, let's just talk about love for a minute, because we use that word a bunch of different ways in our English vernacular, right? So we'll say, I, I love my dog, I love pizza, 
I, like Christ, love the Ohio State Buckeyes, like all those kind of things. We'll like use those phrases. So we said, what does the Bible mean by love? And we went to the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, and he helped us to define it. He said, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. This word love in the original language that we translate the Bible out of, the Greek language, the word he uses there has a very uh, defined definition, and it's the word agape. And agape means a selfless love, an other-focused love. It's a love that is what Paul says is to be sincere, or in other words, has no hypocrisy in it. So I love you in a selfless way. Whatever you need, I'll do whatever is necessary to try to meet that need or express that love to you. But it's selfless. It's no strings attached. It's sincere. And then we said, not only does it need to be given in a sincere way, but love needs to be received in a sincere way. So I'm giving you love. I'm agapeing you with no strings attached. And I'm receiving love with no hypocrisy. I'm not manipulating you. I'm not controlling you. I'm not asking you to enable me, but I'm receiving that love as well. And we said, that's how the one another's work. It's kind of like playing catch. I, I, I give, I'm, the, I'm the, the, the extender or the thrower of the ball, and then it's received. And then to play the game of catch, I have to switch roles. I then have to become the receiver, right? It's going to come back to me. And for us to play the one another game, there's times that I give, there's times that I receive. And Jesus says, when you do that with each other, that's how people will know that you're my disciples. When you love each other in kind of those intensely deep and sacrificial ways, you give and you receive, that will be the hallmark of my, my people. So I've been digging at that for a few weeks, lots of details in there because some big conversations. So on the website, on the app, on the podcast, all that's always free at Grace, but you may want to sign up for those things and just spend a little bit of time listening to that in the car or something, and it'll fill in some of those blanks and help everything to, to make the, the most sense possible. Uh, this weekend, I want to move us a step further. I want to go back to the Apostle Paul and see what he talks about, another way that we can love each other. So if you got a Bible, you can grab it and go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 is page 946, and the Bible's there <clears throat> in the chairs. And I want to look at this together. So just to clarify, what Galatians is, is a letter written to a group of people, right? So in the ancient world, a bunch of people had discovered that Jesus is God, that he loves them, that he laid his life down, that he rose again from the dead and offers the forgiveness of sin. So they had become Christ followers. What God then did next was he gave us what we would call the disciples or the apostles. He worked uniquely through people to help that early church know how to follow Jesus then. And so Paul is one of those guys, and he would write these letters, and he would explain like the heart and mind of Jesus. This is how it works to be a Christ follower, and that's what he's doing to this group of people in verse 1 of chapter 6 of Galatians when he says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you will also, you may also be tempted. Here it is, verse 2. Carry each other's burdens, 
And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each should, one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Verse 7, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh will, will, uh, will from the flesh reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, <clears throat> especially those who belong to the family of believers. Now, in those 10 verses is about three months of teaching, right? So there's so many powerful and life-changing ideas and points that can be drawn out of there. I'm not going to be able to do that all today, but the reason I wanted to read those through is I, I encourage you to dig into that this week. Go into those 10 verses, maybe in your, your time you're reading the Bible, look at that, kind of soak it up a little bit. God wants to teach us a ton. If there's 15 points in there, I want to talk about one of them this weekend, okay? And so I want to talk specifically about verse 2 of chapter 6, when Paul says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. When the ancient church, who had just learned about Jesus, and just believed that he rose again from the dead, and had just trusted him for the forgiveness of their sins, when they heard that sentence, that sentence would have blown their mind it would have almost felt like it came out of the blue a little bit. But it would have been absolutely mind-boggling. This letter was written to a group of people who grew up in a culture and in a context and had probably had a religious background. So they grew up in a culture in which they, they would have learned how to interact with each other and had preconceived ideas that this verse would have pushed against and even unplugged. Uh, they would have grown up in, in a family context, right? So how mom and dad and uncle whoever interacted with them, right, would have put some preconceived ideas that this verse may have pushed against. And most of them would have grown up in an ancient Jewish context. And so they would have grown up, we would say they grew up going to church, uh, is how we would say it today, they grew up going to the temple, right? So they grew up being taught, memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament, learning all these things about God, what was called the law. And then on top of what the Bible said, they would have had other things that the rabbis and the teachers would have taught them and said, this is how you implement these basic things that God said. So they all would have had a cultural background. They all would have had a family background. And most of them would have had a religious background. And when Paul said this, it would have blown their mind. Because when he tied this idea of carrying each other's burdens to how to deal with sin... For most of them, it would have been a brand new context. When they heard verse 1 of chapter 6, when Paul said, brothers and sisters, 
if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, today we'd say Christ followers, you who live by the Spirit, you Christ followers, should restore that person gently. The idea that you were caught in a sin and I was going to be a part of restoring you, and not just restoring you, but then I was going to carry some of your burdens, would have been mind-boggling. Because in that culture, maybe in that family, and certainly with that religious background, when somebody sinned, you didn't run to them, you ran away from them. That's what you were taught, right? So when somebody sinned, you looked and, and thought, man, they just got caught doing X, adultery, stealing, lying, whatever. Right? They fill in your sin. They got caught doing that. That sin is now public. And when I look at that sin, what I was taught to do was to ostracize that person. You sinned, you're now out of the community. You're, you sinned, now, now you, you are marked by that sin. <clears throat> you, you, your family blew up. Now you're the family that we all kind of look at a little bit differently than we used to. But they would have been taught that I need to get away from that person. That person now is impure. That person may contaminate us. Their family, their kids are now the people that we don't want to interact with anymore, right? So when Paul comes in and says, Actually, when somebody's caught in sin, and I'll kind of put it in parentheses, and they're seeking to be reconnected with God. This is not talking about somebody who's hard-hearted, somebody who doesn't give a rip, somebody who doesn't care what God thinks they're going to do their own thing. This is a person who is struggling or has fallen, and now they're trying to get back with God. Actually, don't ostracize them or kick them out go to them. You who live by the Spirit, you who walk with God, seek to restore them and help them carry their burdens. See, go with them. Now, that was mind-boggling for them, and for many of us, that would be mind-boggling as well. So, many of us grew up in church, and, and not all of us, but a bunch of us did. By the way, if in some ways, it's a little bit weird, but in some ways, if you didn't grow up going to church and you didn't grow up hearing the Bible and then all the rules that people would add to the Bible, and, and maybe you just kind of connected with Christ or following Christ a, a year or two ago, in many ways, you're at an advantage. Because when you hear the Bible, you hear it kind of purely in some ways. You're like, well, Jesus said that, I'll just do that. For some of us who grew up in church, we hear the Bible and then we hear all of the stuff that people added on to it. And I don't know about your tradition, but the tradition I grew up in, if somebody was caught in sin, you ostracized them. You pushed them out. They were tainted. You never really looked at them the same way again. Maybe they could hang around the edges of the community, but they were never really welcomed back in. So when I was growing up years ago, this was right, af right after electricity was invented, but before the wheel and certainly before the internet. When, when I was growing up in church, there were taboo sins. There were some sins that were fine, like gluttony and gossip and materialism, but there were other sins that were very taboo that you got ostracized for. 
So when I was growing up, one of those sins would have been like divorce. If you were divorced, you were ostracized. Didn't matter if you were the perpetrator of the divorce or the victim of the divorce, the whole family got lumped in. And you became that family. And your kids weren't allowed to go to their house anymore because, see, they struggled and something happened and there's got to be a problem. That's the way that ancient Jewish people would have thought. They would have thought, well, they sinned. What, did they not go to temple enough? Well, they're having problems. Did they not tithe enough? Because, you know, God gives you what you want if you give God money because God needs money. That's what God really needs right? Was it their family? Because you, you remember their father, sins of the father passed down. So, you remember their father was kind of a jerk, and so it makes sense. And so, I grew up, though, I had taboo things, right? That was a, that was a big one. And suddenly, well, something, you know, I, I know he left her, but she probably wasn't the wife she needed to be. That's, that's the way it was. Later on, uh, when, when I kind of got through college into the professional world, that's just when the internet blew up and all the pornography blew up with it. And so pornography was that way. And if you got caught in pornography, oh my goodness, right? If somebody found out that you looked at pornography or you seen pornography or you were struggling with an addiction to pornography, you lost your job, you lost your position, you got ostracized, you were that guy, Right? And that's the way that it, it worked. Nobody ran to you to help you. Everybody pushed you away, which is fascinating when every male in North America has at minimum seen pornography and the fastest viewing rates of pornography right now are with women, but you got caught. Even though we're doing the same thing, you got caught. And now that you're caught, I'm going to act this way, and I'm going to push you out of the community that way, right? So that's the mindset that this letter comes into. And Paul writes, and he just blows up their worldview, and he says, listen, when somebody is caught in sin, you who are spiritual, don't ostracize, push away, excommunicate, seek to restore them. When they embrace that restoration, carry their burdens with them. Come along beside them and help them. Why would you do that as a follower of Christ? Because I thought the church was a place for pure people. I thought if I walked in here and confessed my sins, the building would catch on fire and burn down. I thought that's what God wanted. And Paul is saying, wait a minute, no, I'm helping you understand the heart and the mind of Christ. And Jesus didn't ostracize sinners. He came to rescue them. Jesus is in heaven. He's never sinned. He, he never failed in any way. Our sin is our problem. He didn't tempt us. He didn't trick us. We decided to do those things on our own, and he came to us. He entered our world seeking to restore us. The Bible word is reconcile. He came to help us be made right with God again. And then he, Paul looks at the church and says, if you want to love each other the way Christ loved you, this is a part of that love. 
that when we're struggling, just like Christ came and got under the burden of sin, the Bible says he bore the sins of the world on his shoulders. Think of the cross. Jesus is there, and all the sins of the world are on his shoulders. He helped to bear that burden for us. So he looks at the church, and he says, if you want to be like Christ, you don't run away from people when they're struggling. You run to them, and you help them carry their burden. You don't enable them. You don't turn a blind eye. It's not that sin is not a big deal. It's a very big deal. You don't abuse grace. In fact, later on, Paul says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? And then he shouts. He says, certainly not, big explanation point. He's like, I'm not talking about any of this, but can we all admit that we struggle? Can we, can we just be honest that that's the way that this is? And when we run to each other, we're actually imitating the heart and the life and the actions of Jesus. He goes on here, he says, carry each other's burdens. And this word burdens is a really fascinating word because in the ancient world, when they heard that word, they would have done all kinds of math on it. We're the same way, right? We use euphemisms and slang and all that kind of stuff, and we just kind of automatically do math on it. Well, they would have been the same way when they heard a word, and when they heard that word burden, they would have pictured kind of instantaneously a soldier carrying their equipment. That would have been kind of the context that that would have showed up for them in. So think of one of our, one of our modern soldiers Think of a, a man or a woman, and they've got their pack on and their gun on, and they're hiking, right? They have a burden on them. When Paul used this word, they would have thought of that, except when he used this word here in the original language, he would have used it in such a way that someone would have thought of them carrying an extra heavy load. That's why later on in a couple of verses, he says, everybody should carry their own load, right? So he's not saying dump all your problems on somebody else and let them deal with it. He's not saying enable people. He's not saying take advantage of people. Everybody should carry their own load, he says. But when you see somebody with an extra heavy load, you run to them and you help them carry that burden, when they're being bogged down, when they can't do any more, when they're being overwhelmed, you carry each other's burdens. See? When I am bogged down in sin, it's pornography, it's addictions, it's materialism, it's gossip, it's my hard heart toward other people. Just fill in your sin. There's plenty to pick from. And I want to have freedom and I, I want to break out. I want to please God, but it's burdening me. I, I can't, how many times have I said I'll never do that again? And I can't break free. And then what happens is you take this concept and you push it through the rest of the New Testament and it gets broader than sin. It's an emotional burden. It's a financial burden. It's a physical burden. It's health issues, it's all those kind of things. And, and suddenly, I'm looking and I'm saying, I, I get up in the morning and put my shoes on and I go to work and I carry my own load, but life and spiritual issues and all the rest has weighed on me. 
and I need help. I need help. And Paul looks and says, when you see somebody like that, what the response of the believer is, is to send agape. I'll love you, I'll help you. Your problem is not my problem. But I love you. No strings, I love you. And I want to help carry that. And when Jesus says that they'll know my, you're my disciples by that agape in each other, that, that is so reminiscent of Christ. Our sin is not Jesus' problem. He didn't sin. But he looked at us and said, I love you. I'll help carry that. You cannot do it. Right? So in this game of catch, in this one anothering, the, the first side of the coin, so to say, is that. I'm going to throw agape. I see your financial problem. I see your physical problem. I see how your kids are struggling. I, I see how you are struggling. I see this habitual sin you can't break free of. Your addiction is fill in your blank. And I'm going to, I'm going to throw you agape, right? I, I, you're my brother, my sister in Christ. This, that's a direct context. And I want to love you and serve you in that way. And God would look at his people and say, you, you must view people through those lenses because that is a lens through which Christ views you. But we're playing catch, right? So I'm willing to throw you agape, but the game isn't actually being played. We're not one anothering if I'm not willing to receive agape, receive love. And I've become fairly convinced in our culture that receiving for us is oftentimes more difficult than giving. This is what happens. When I am only willing to give, right? And, and I look and say, I, you know, I have finances, I'm willing to be generous. I have emotional capacity, I'm willing to help. I, I have, I've been through pain, and so I'm willing to walk with you through pain. And when I'm only willing to give, but then when someone looks and says, but I want to give to you, and when someone looks and says, I want to throw the ball back, and I want you to catch it, I want to give to you, and our response is to throw up our facades and our defenses and refuse to allow that ball to be come back, we put ourselves in a really dangerous position, right? I want to love you. I don't really need you to love me. I want to know you. I'm not really going to let you know me. How are you doing? I got all this stuff going on in my life. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How's your marriage? Ah, oh, we're really struggling. I don't know. We're kind of on the rocks. How's yours? Oh, we're good. Busy, you know, but we're good. How, how, how's your finances? I saw that your company just did a bunch of layoffs. Oh, man, we're really scared. We're not sure if we're going to lose our job or not. How are yours? Oh, it's good. You know, I got the right hood ornament. We live in the right zip code, so we're good. You know, we're good. Good. I'm good. So good. Right? And this is what happens. Probably without realizing it, when I am the one who will throw the ball but I won't receive it, 
I actually put myself in a position to have power and control over the people around me. You can be vulnerable with me, but I'm not willing to be vulnerable with you. Uh, I will give to you, but I'm not going to let you give to me. And in my independence and in my pride and in my insecurity, because pride is just insecurity played out through arrogance, in all of that, I'm not going to let you give to me because I need you to think that I'm always fine. And what happens is this. Even with a pure heart, I can give agape, but with the same sincerity, I have to be willing to receive it. I remember uh, years ago when, when this idea first kind of got into my brain, God kind of taught me this lesson way back, I don't know, 20 years ago, something like that. Uh, Heidi and I were here at the church, and the, the church was super small, and we, back then, we struggled to find two nickels to rub, rub together, right? So the church wasn't uh, very big yet, and couldn't meet all of our financial needs. And we had started one of our businesses, but it was kind of getting on its feet. So we just didn't have a lot of money at all, kind of paycheck to paycheck kind of a thing. And um, we bought a house. And so we bought a house in Copley, and it was a century home. And so we, uh, on top of like our normal situation, we kind of stretched, you know, when you first buy a house, it's expensive. So we moved into this house. It's, it's this 100-year-old house, and it had an, uh, an enclosed front porch on it and the, the roofing was slate on that front porch. And so we moved into this house, and we weren't in there long. I don't remember. It was, I think, just a matter of months kind of a thing. And there was a, a, a wind and a rainstorm that came through. That happens once in a while here in Northeast Ohio. I don't know if you've noticed that. Now that the sun has gone into hibernation until May, you'll think about it more. Uh, but like, kind of like last night here, it rained, and it was windy, and... And uh, I looked out onto our enclosed front porch, and I see water just pouring through the, the roof of the front porch, right? And so you, you kind of get that sick feeling. You're like, I just bought this house. I don't have any money anyways, and I have a real problem on my hands. So the guy I knew to call was a guy named Kenny Eagle. Kenny was a, a retired guy. He and I were actually uh, very, very close friends. He's with the Lord now, but I called Kenny Eagle, in his retirement, Kenny would do roofing once in a while to make some extra money. And so I knew he had the stuff that I needed. So I called Kenny, picked up the phone. It's like 10 o'clock at night. I was like, hey, Kenny, I got like a waterfall coming through my front porch. Can you help me? He's like, yeah, I'll be right over. So he grabbed his stuff, came over with some tarps and that kind of stuff. About 11 o'clock at night, we like tarped the roof down, right, and kind of got it set up. And he said, listen... He said, I'll be back in the morning and we'll put a new roof on your porch. I said, okay. So I took the day off and he came back, brought a, brought a buddy, Jim Heffel, came and the two of them, the three of us got up there. We stripped the slate off. A bunch of, the, of the, the wood was bad, so we put new wood down, put the weather guard down, put the tar paper down, put the shingles on it, got the roof all tucked in and fixed up. And at the end of the day, it, we were finishing up, and I looked at Kenny, and I said, hey, what do I owe you for that? What, what I, need, I need to pay you? He said, oh, you're not going to pay me. I said, Kenny, I didn't call you for a favor. I just called you because you were the only roofing guy I knew to call. And, and I said, so I, let me pay you. You're not paying me. 
Kenny, you got to let me pay you. Jeff, no, you're my friend. You're not paying me. I said, well, I'm at least going to pay for materials because he had gone and bought all the materials. And I said, at least let me pay for materials. He goes, I, no, you're not paying me. I said, Kenny, let me at least pay you back for the materials. Jeff, you are not paying me. And he got in his truck and he left. And he left. I had a horrible time with that. Kenny gave me love. He agaped me sincerely. Kenny Eagle did not have an insincere bone in his body. I knew that. I trusted him. I love him. We're friends. We, we were friends until the day he went to be with the Lord. I trusted him. He expressed love to me. I had a horrible time receiving that. I felt immature. I felt poor. I was embarrassed. Yeah, I'm a grown man. I can't fix my own house. I, didn't, I was insecure. I didn't like being in the position of needing somebody. I wanted to level it up. Like Kenny did me a favor, I should do him a favor, right? He, he did something for me. I wanted to create a contract instead of a relationship. See, you're my friend, but I paid you. That's a con, I purchased a service. And Kenny wouldn't let me, wouldn't hand me the bill, wouldn't tell me what it cost. And I didn't have any money to give him anyways, but he wouldn't, wouldn't let me come do him a favor. I struggled deeply with that because I was in a position where I needed my burden carried. I didn't like it. Right? I'm Pastor Jeff. I'm Dr. Bogue. Right? I didn't like that at all. And God had to, God used that silly little thing in my life to teach me that I, I cannot just throw the ball. That's not one anothering. I have to be willing to receive the ball, that, that I have to be willing to drop the facade and to allow people to love me. Now, guys, this is a huge thing. Why, why is it? Why is it that stats would say that almost every person under the sound of my voice looks at pornography and we never talk about it? The average boy sees his first pornographic image when he's nine. Porn fires the same chemical addiction in our brain as cocaine. Why don't we ever share that with each other? Why is it that, that if you're a parent, you struggle with your children and they scare you to death because none of us know what we're doing? The kids are right about that. Why, don't we, why are our kids always fine? Why do we only share the positive stuff? If you're married, every single marriage on planet Earth, starting with the first one between Adam and Eve, has hit the rocks at some time. How come we're always good? There's something about that, and we'll put facades up. We'll have hood ornaments and zip codes we can't afford. 
We're living paycheck to paycheck, but we want people to know. Why is it in the family of God we would interact with each other in such a way that I'm willing to help you with your burden, but I don't even want you to know that I have one. It's a big deal. I'll make this statement. It's a big statement, but I'll make it. I'm not afraid. Heidi will protect me. Right, here it is. If you, as a Christ follower, never carry another person's burdens, and then here's the big statement, and you never allow anyone to carry yours, I think there's an argument if you're actually functioning as a church. A church is not a set of services, right? This is not a TED Talk, and I like TED Talks. I got the app, I listen to them all the time. But this is not a TED Talk where you sit and you, you listen to a guy who, who has something interesting to say, you, you pick the points out of it and apply it to you. It's not a TED Talk. A, a church is not a charitable organization. We do charitable things. We do nice things, we do service projects, but we're not the United Way. And I like the United Way, but we're not the United Way. That's not what it is. A church, a church is a is a people, the Bible says, is a group of people that are called out by Christ himself to become like Christ. And Christ himself looks and says, right, you gather, gathering together as a church is a really important thing. You gather together, and what is the outcome of that gathering? A positive thought, a thoughtful insight, a charitable action. No, you don't need Jesus for any of that. The, the outcome of that gathering is that you love each other in such a unique and powerful way that it marks you as a group of people. People would look and say, man, they must be Christians. Look how they love each other. If I never carry a burden and never allow anybody to carry mine. We're not being a church, see. If my interaction is, is never more than watching on a computer or sitting in a room, or even showing up at a life group and just saying I'm fine every week, then agape, sincere agape is not happening. And when we fall into these rhythms that what, what I do at church is I lie. I'm a hypocrite. I put on a facade that's not really me. In fact, if you get caught in your sin, let alone confess it on purpose, you're going to get pushed out. And Paul comes in and he just kaboom, blows this thing up and he says, wait a minute, none of this, none of this is anything like what Jesus did. It's fascinating what he says in the rest of this verse. Let's look at it. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. That is a fascinating and powerful sentence. 
carry each other's burdens, and this way you fulfill all Christ. He doesn't say, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll be really nice to each other. Carry each other's burdens, in this way you will emotionally support one another. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will perform a moral code of goodness. He says something super powerful. Carry each other's burdens, this way you fulfill the law of Christ. What's he saying? He's looking at the church. He's saying, listen, if you want to do what Jesus did and what he wants to empower you to do, one of the ways that you do that, an example of that, an outplay of that, is you carry each other's burdens as you seek to restore each other. You become, later on, Paul says, you become It's a Bible term, ministers of reconciliation. You become catalysts for people getting rightly connected with God. If you want to see the the law of Christ fulfilled, you carry each other's burdens. Well, what's the law of Christ? The law of Christ, when you think of the law of Christ, if you want to visualize the law of Christ, visualize the cross. Christ coming and giving his life He's loving you and me with all of his heart and his soul and his mind and his strength. The full extent of his love is displayed on the cross. What's he doing on the cross? What he's doing in part is he is bearing our burden of sin. The fancy word is the substitutional atonement. He paid a debt he didn't know for those of us who owe a debt we can't pay, or we could say it this way. He bore a burden that wasn't his for those of us who were being crushed by a burden we can't carry. He ran to us with mercy and grace and in truth and in righteousness. He didn't turn a blind eye to sin. He didn't enable sin. He paid for it. He carried it. And Paul says, when we do this with each other, when I love you and I allow you to love me and we play catch and we want another, when we do that, you fulfill the law of Jesus. People will look at you and look at us as a group and say, what is the deal with those people? They run into each other's messes. They forgive each other. They are honest with each other. They, they, you don't have to be perfect to follow Christ. You're allowed to struggle and you don't get ostracized. People run to you to help you. It looks exactly like Jesus. And suddenly I'm loving you the way that Christ loved me. And Jesus makes sense to you because you can see the law of Christ play out in our love and our interaction for each other. See how that works? Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. It's one anothering. I agape you. I love you. No strings, man. I love you. But I let you love me too. And both of those things are life-changing. Both of those things take humility. Both of those things cause, cause Christ to be real and alive in us.
And Jesus would look and say, you see somebody in need and you walk by and don't give a rip? That's not how my people roll. And when you're always fine and you struggle with nothing, that's impossible. You're lying. Nobody can be that way. But when we can run to each other, maybe I see you and I run to you, or maybe I raise my hand and say, I'm, I'm in deep weeds. Something spiritual happens, powerful happens, life-altering happens when we carry each other's burdens. This is what we want to do this weekend. Um, If you're our guest, what I'm about to say, we don't do this every weekend, um, but once in a while we do, and I want to do it this weekend. Normally when we pray for each other, because that's one of the ways that we can carry each other's burdens, just pray for each other. Normally we would do that in life groups or maybe out in the lobby or something like that. Somebody will say something. But this weekend, I want to do that in services. So if you're here on Jet Road, this is what I want to offer to you. In a minute, I'm going to pray and the band's going to come out and give us some space to think and, and be with God. If you would like to pray with someone or have someone pray for you, if you have a burden that is just weighing you down, sin, emotions, health, it, it doesn't matter what it is, but you look and say, this is, this is more than normal life. I am being crushed by this. If you'd like somebody to talk to or somebody to pray over you, I'm going to invite you, as the band sings here in a minute, you can get up from your chair and just go to the back corner of the auditorium. And some of our life group leaders and some of our pastors will be back there. You don't have to do anything except say, will you pray with me? And they will pray with you and kind of and put their hand on your shoulder and just care for you right now. I want to I do what the Bible says right here in service, okay? If you don't want to go back there, that's fine. If you're watching online or at a live site, if you want to pray with somebody there, or if you need help, let us know on that connection card. But we, we mean this, right? And we want this to be the hallmark of our church that we love each other in this way. So I'll pray, the band will settle in. When they start to play, if you want to go back and meet with somebody, people have been doing that all weekend. I encourage you to do that and let God speak through it, okay? Jesus, help us with this. Me, me too. Lord, I am independent and proud and like to be in control. And it's hard for me to be vulnerable sometimes. And so, God, help me to lean in the people that I know love me and to trust that love and, and to, to reveal my own burdens. And then, God, help us all in that way. Help us to see the weight that, that our brothers and sisters are under and run to their side and to confess the weight that we're under and ask for the help that you promise us and that you want to give us through your people. So in these still moments, God, would you, through your Holy Spirit, press into our heart and convict us and show us and reveal to us and all the stuff that you do, would you do that now? 
And Lord, even allow us to do that with each other. So work in these still moments, Jesus, in your name. Amen.